Hi everybody, this is Tilda from Operation Tube Top, and guess what? Another podcast. Uh, I guess this is the May 6th one? I'm not quite sure. I feel like I need a bit of a, a jingle, so I'm going to ask a friend who is an opera singer to see if she would be interested in doing a little intro. I feel like all the, uh, all the pros are doing that right now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her, and I'll see what she says. So, um, I don't, I haven't really figured out what I'm doing with this podcast. What, what's the hook? What's the thing that's going to make it interesting for people to listen to? Maybe it's guilt as my friend you feel obliged to, or maybe you've just kind of somehow seen someone post something to this, to the page, or you are like, who is this person who calls herself Operation Tube Top? But I think it's going to be mostly Vienna centric. I think that's kind of my thing. And, uh, no, still still no offer from the Vienna Board of Tourism. I don't even know if there is one. But it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have a little extra cash. But at this point, I'm just doing it because it's fun. And uh, while I continue to try to blog as much as possible, this is a little bit faster for me because I like to talk, obviously. So um, just to kind of recap the last few days, uh, Thursday I went to work and Thursday afternoon, I met up with a good friend who was back in town. She was gone for about six weeks. So we met up at our kind of divey cafe guitare, guitara bar, which is kind of a funny place. I like the place because while it is divey, I feel completely comfortable and safe there. And the servers are always super lovely. And it turns out that the owner's wife, her daughter, was going to the same kindergarten as my son. I didn't even know that until about a month ago when she came up to me when I was having a drink. And she's like, hey are you Raphael's mother? And I was like, ha yeah, I'm on my third drink. Great to meet you. And she's lovely. And then she told me that uh, my son would see her in the morning, come over and then lie across her lap and then demand her to scratch his back. And then after a minute or so, he'd get up and be like, thanks lady and head off. So that was, that's charming. Totally my son. Uh, anyway, so Thursday night, wait, Thursday afternoon, we got to catch up. And then um, Friday was the kid's last day at kindergarten. So uh, it was too emotional for me to go and drop off um, the kid. I would have just been a wreck, and I would have freaked him out. Uh, but I did buy very, very expensive chocolates uh, to prove what a good mother I am. And uh, it was it, it's still hard for me to kind of grasp the fact that that is over because he had been going there for three years, and when we started going there, we had just been kicked out of two different kindergartens. Uh, it, he was miserable going to his original kindergarten, screaming every day, we were just kind of at the end of our rope and he had been newly diagnosed with autism. And I just remember feeling a huge sense of relief that by day three, he was a pro at this. He like walked in like he owned the place. So it's, it was a very um, important three years of him being there. And it was just downstairs. So it was great. We could look out the window and uh, see him playing if we were off that day. So, you know, spying like a good helicopter mom that I am. So that's, that's sad. And I think he kind of knew what was going on. Apparently everybody hugged him as he was leaving. And uh, yesterday he was a little bit clingy. And then also uh, he wanted to spend the night in bed with me. So I think, uh, I think he kind of knows something's happening. So that's just kind of heartbreaking. But I will just continue to be positive and drink my wine and hope that not next week, but the week afterwards when he starts school, that all will be well. Fingers crossed. Lots of fingers crossed. Um, Friday after work, I had a meeting at a museum. Uh, it's kind of working out an autism-friendly hour, kind of a test run to see how it goes. And uh, details will be coming soon, which I'll post about. 
Um, of course, I've become friends now with the person that I've been in contact with at the museum, which is fantastic. He's great. And uh, we went uh, we went for drinks at Hoyer um, Karl's Platz and had <clears throat> some rosé. And uh, he's also Jewish, so we were able to kind of make inappropriate jokes that we usually can't make here in the city. And he's from New York, so yeah, that's that's always fun. So uh, after that, went home, had some dinner, and then this morning I did a little yoga because I was feeling very um, very smug. And then I did a little bit of working out. So good good Saturday. And then in the afternoon, I got to see my uh, one of my oldest friends. We've known each other, I would say, about. 24 years. We met when we were 12 in Vienna and her mom is kind of like a second mother to me. And I hadn't met my friend's baby, who's now 17 months, uh, because she lives uh, not in Vienna. She lives in Spain. So it was so great to see each other and to meet her daughter. And uh, we had a great time uh, hanging out. And uh, also her sister's toddler was there as well. So it was uh, it was fun to kind of hang out with little people. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, of course, it's Saturday night. I'm at home. I'm being a responsible adult. And uh, I think tomorrow is going to be pretty low key. And for the next week, I have a couple of dates with friends and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to try to not, you know, hyperventilate every time I think about him starting school on the 4th of September. Today's podcast, sorry, that was like a long intro and a long stream of consciousness and stories. I actually have a topic. I, I do have a topic, as always, and this is going to be based on a blog I wrote three years ago, and this blog post actually went a little viral. I mean, not sneezing baby panda viral, but Vienna viral. I think it was viewed about 12,000 times, and it kind of was going all over the place, and then it was funny because one friend got an email from her friend, I think in South Africa, who was like, hey, did you see this? This is very funny, and it was just really hilarious, and I kind of thought that was going to be, what is it, watershed? Is that the term? Watershed? Watersh oh, it's so dumb. Um, it was going to be a key, a key moment in my life, and maybe things would change. <laughs> Not really, but I thought it was exciting at the time. But it was, it was a great way for the blog to get a little bit of, I would say, notoriety, and it was really fun for me to do. So I thought what I would do is go through this blog post that I did. It's kind of a bullet point blog post and expand a little bit on each bullet post. And if it's going too long, I'm going to have to break this podcast into two. But I hope uh, I can uh, get through it pretty quickly. So the title of the blog post was, you know, you have lived in Vienna for a long time. And then it kind of different things that as an, an expat, you realize what's happened to you as you've lived in the city for a while. As I said before, I've lived here a total of 17 years, so four years in the 90s, and then 13 years as an adult with a bank account. So it's, it's, it's funny that it's the longest place I've ever lived, and while I feel like it's my home, I still do feel a bit like a foreigner. And that is not a comment on society, that's just the fact that because I have so many international friends, I work in an international organization, uh, I speak in English, uh, I'm a bad person for not speaking better German. I think that this is, um, it's, it's hard to kind of really get into um, Vienna society in terms of really getting to know a ton of Austrians. I'm lucky enough to have great Austrian friends, but it took a long time and most of them are quite international. So it's uh, it's one of these things. You, it's important when you live here to try to blend in, try to meet Austrians if you can. 
but it, it is definitely one of the harder cities to do that in. And uh, I, I am happy to say that it, it, it took many years to be like, hi, I have an Austrian friend. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, still love it. So I guess I'm going to go through this list and kind of talk a little bit more in depth because I, for the blog post, it was pretty much like just a couple of lines for each bullet point. And I hope very much that you enjoy it. So let's start with the first one. Number one, how you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time is when you have been successfully or you have successfully been first to order bread at the bakery, regardless of the mob surrounding you and the fact that you came after said mob. So you'll understand this when you go to a bakery here in Austria, lining up is not the forte of the Austrians. Lines are not respected here, so to say. I mean, you can look over and you can tell who's North American or British and they're at a bakery because they're twitching and they're having a really hard time understanding and they probably will never get their food. So what you realize after a while is that the people behind the counter could not care less if you're the first or the last. They don't care. So what they'll do is they'll say, uh, who's next? Which invites a lot of people to say, oh, me. Because as I said, Austrians don't like waiting. They're very impatient, as I am, as I am also very impatient. So you really have to be aggressive here. Don't be fooled by someone who looks like they're not, you know, not that aggressive. They will fight you for that croissant. So you have to say, me. Or if you're really polite, you let one person go in front of you, hope they're not hungry, and then you'll be next. But you really have to be assertive. So you'll realize this at the beginning. Because I remember when I would first go to a bakery, I think it took me like four hours to get um, a pretzel because I just was like, what? You don't know I'm next? How do you not know this? They they don't care. They just want to serve you. They want you out of your out of their store. So be assertive. Go in there. Say it's you. You're next. You're next and you're going to get those 16 croissants and you're going to be hated, but you don't care because you are first. So that's, that's my advice. Uh, the number two, how you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time. You don't even flinch. When somebody screams behind you, Zweite Kasse bitte, which is pretty much second cash register, please. So what you'll notice is when you go to a grocery store here, there'll be a line. They actually know how to line up in lines here, like in a grocery store. They don't like it, but they'll do it because they're such small stores. There's no choice. When there are about five plus people in line, there will always be somebody who will yell out, Zweite Kasse, which means open up another register. I'm going to cut somebody if you don't. And then the woman at the till or the man will press a little button. You'll hear a little bell and some other employee will come out and then say, hey, my cash register is open. Now, the thing is, you have to be kind of strategic here, because even if you're ahead in line and somebody behind you yells it, everybody behind you is going to go straight to the next cash register. So you have to kind of weigh your options, be like, OK, that person's only buying fruit in front of me, but that person has a huge um, I was going to say carriage, a huge shopping cart of stuff. You really have to be strategic and you got to fight too. I mean, it's, it's, you know, dog eat dog. When you're in Billa, you got to be fast. So I have to be honest, I have never yelled out Zweite Kasse. So I'm not completely a native, but you will see it happen. And, um, Godspeed. I wish you the best. So I guess number three, um, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time. And this one is kind of controversial. I have people who've lived here forever and they still don't agree with me on this one. But I have to say, it doesn't bother me that shops are closed on Sunday. And 
some people will say, well, at least Bratislava is open. And it's true. A lot of people will go across the border to do their shopping. But I kind of like that shops are closed on Sunday because it's my one chance to be like, eh, can't get anything done. Can't go shopping. Uh, I feel like it's really forces me to stay at home and drink. It doesn't mean I have to go out and get stuff. And it really is nice to have a day of rest. Kind of a fun, fun thing is that there are some uh, grocery stores that are open in Vienna on Sundays, usually at the train stations. But if you go there, you'll notice that the shopping, uh, shopping, sorry, the cleaning supplies are locked under glass. So you can't, you can't buy cleaning supplies. For some reason, God doesn't want you to clean on Sundays. And I'm okay with that. I think that's a good thing. So I find it very funny um, that it, you can always tell when someone's just moved here because they start to go a little bit crazy on a Sunday when they realize the shops aren't open. And I think shops should be open in the first district. I think make it the shopping center, make it happen. There's a ton of tourists. I'd be pretty ticked if I was there here on a Sunday and everything was closed. But at the same time, I kind of like the forced not having to do anything on a Sunday. So another thing about how you know you've lived in Vienna uh, for a long time is when you totally bitch when you see that the next U-Bahn is going to take four minutes to come. This is how spoiled we are in this city. The public transportation is probably the best I've ever experienced. I wish I experienced more chauffeurs, but this is something pretty uh, amazing about the city. So when you show up on your platform for the subway and you look up and you see four minutes, you will sigh and groan and be like, what is there? Did someone jump? Like, why, why is it for me? This is ridiculous. What? It's hilarious. And it's something you just get used to. It's, um, you're, it, I, whenever I take public transportation in another city, it's a completely different thing. You can wait a lot longer, but Vienna, we're very spoiled. So you'll notice that after a while. Another way you know that you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that if you wear heels, cobblestones are no longer your kryptonite. You can you you own that 1700s road. You know how to stiletto wear like wear stilettos over cobblestone. You will not get stuck in that. You know how to deal with that. You, you go on the ball of your feet, and you just kind of you navigate. It's not fun, but you're gonna have amazing thighs afterwards. I have to say, it took me a few years, but now now I've got it. Speaking of walking, so this is the next one. How you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time is you haven't stepped in dog shit for years. You may have developed a bit of a hunchback because you're always looking over, like looking down, but you, you know, now, you know, you have to look everywhere. And I have to say it's definitely improved. It used to be a lot worse in Vienna. Um, it was like a field of poop. It's there. People are getting a little bit better about this, but you have, you have, there's, they're sneaky, the poop's sneaky. So you have to keep an eye out. And it's very funny because I am constantly looking at down at the road and I, I do have a hunchback. Thanks for asking. Um, the next thing is, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that the little old ladies don't fool you no mo. Uh, I thought they would have died out by the time I moved back, but I think they just, I think they just keep aging and they get meaner and I'm not, I'm not stereotyping here, but I have to say there's this kind of idea of this Viennese older lady who looks really sweet. She's probably wearing heels. She's wearing stockings. She's probably wearing a fur coat. She's wearing pearls. She's got great, like, quaffed hair. But if you take her seat on on the tram, she'll beat the shit out of you. So you have to be careful of these ladies. They are, they're vicious. And they haven't changed. I don't know if it's the next generation or these are the same ladies. I don't know what's happening. Um, it's a little bit like cocoon sometimes. So uh, the next thing, how you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time, 
is you start to say really obnoxious things like, I'm just back from London. Oh, I was in Paris for the week. Oh, Berlin. You, 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 everything's so close here. So kind of in Canada, when you drive four hours, you've just made it to the next Starbucks. Uh, here in Europe, you drive four hours and you're in another country. So it's very easy. And flying is quite cheap here. So people really will go on a weekend jaunt somewhere. And it's funny because people will say stuff like, Ugh, another night at the opera. I'm exhausted. It, it sounds hilarious, but it's something that you don't even notice anymore. It's just completely normal. And the funny thing was I was just having a conversation with a friend who told me that he flew to London for lunch and then back. It's, it's hilarious. And, and that's extreme. I made fun of him, but otherwise it's very common here. And, uh, you know, you don't really realize how obnoxious you sound, but you, yeah, you're obnoxious, but it's okay. We're all, we all are obnoxious. So then the next thing about how, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time is when a new restaurant opens up serving like a greasy American breakfast, burgers, Asian food, the expat community will collectively explode and critics pop up faster than you can say dry aged beef. So when I wrote this about three years ago, dry aged beef burgers were the thing. Every restaurant was serving them. It was a huge thing. Now it's pulled pork. Pulled pork has come to Vienna and now everybody's a pulled pork expert. And you will have people writing on the expat forums like uh, zero points for the pulled pork at this place. But this place was great. And people will argue. And probably this was chicken wings like 10 years ago was probably the big thing. A few years ago it was the burgers. Now it's pulled pork. I'm curious about what's next. I hope it's Bloody Mary's. I hope that becomes a thing because it's hard to find a good Bloody Mary in Vienna. So next up, you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time, uh, is when there are rumors that like a Victoria's Secret is opening up somewhere because this will spread like wildfire because everybody will be like, I heard that there's a Victoria's Secret opening. Where's it going to be? I mean, if, if the rumor Target opens like or that rumor starts spreading, people will start losing their mind. So I remember when the Gap opened just three years ago and it was like this huge thing. Dunkin' Donuts, there were lines forever. And people at first thought it was because everybody wanted to go to Dunkin' Donuts. No, it was just that the service sucked. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dunkin' Donuts, but it did. And I, ha I still haven't been. And there are no lines any longer. And Vienna's a little bit funny when it comes to chains because I remember when I lived here the first time, there was a Pizza Hut was around. And Pizza Hut was... I'm sorry, every few years I need a little Pizza Hut. So when Pizza Hut opened, of course, that was a huge thing. All the expat kids went, all the international school kids. And then it closed down. It just didn't do very well. And, you know, I looking looking back, Vienna has fantastic pizza that doesn't have to be Pizza Hut. So it makes sense. But it's really hard for chains to open up in Vienna. And I kind of think that's a good thing. I say that because I'm an old person now. Um, not that old, but I'm older. And I, I like I like the, the aged stuff. I like the tradition. Ugh. What's happened to me? All right, so the next thing is, uh, you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time when you have any friends that go back home. So if they ever go back to Canada or the States or London, you pretty much are like, you better bring me back some food coloring and child's cough syrup, please. Because it's it's a thing. It's a thing. You can't get certain things here, and it's gotten better. It's definitely improved. But at the same time, food coloring, we need to work on that here. And I know, I know someone's going to say, but you can get it at Mercure. It's not the same thing. I do not need to use 16 tubes to make something slightly pink. And if you tell me to use beet juice, we can't be friends anymore. It has to be really the chemical stuff that, you know, you put a drop in and everything's dark green. 
I'm sorry. I never said I was a good person. So that's very common. So you really kind of start this um, almost like you make your friends into mules to bring back stuff for you. Um, the next thing is that you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time. Um, when you figure out which pharmacy to go to, where they won't treat you like a drug addict when you ask for aspirin. So this could turn into a huge conversation about like the opioid crisis. And I, that, I said that funny, opioid, opioid, opioid crisis in the States. And, you know, as I talked about before, I talked to this one woman and she had like a, did I mention, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, and I probably shouldn't mention this, but I'm not going to say her name, but she said that she'd had like a little scratch and she went to the hospital and they gave her like 16 pills for hydrocodone. And I was like, what? That is the best doctor. In no, I was like, oh, that's severe. Here, getting anything that's um, a painkiller is actually quite tough. I mean, you have to walk in and be like, hi, um, I lost my arm just a an hour ago. Could I have some aspirin? And they will be like, no, see your doctor. I'm joking. I'm really, this is extreme, but it is, it's been tough. I remember once we had to get like an antifungal thing for our son, some kind of antifungal paste and I went in and they asked me for like ID and a picture of him and the prescription and I was like are people making meth out of antifungal cream is this something is there a black market but it kind of blows my mind so you kind of figure out which apothecas or pharmacies um, that you can go to and say hey I'd like some hydrocode no you know which places to go to and I do remember and I think they're very strict with drugs here um, which I think is a good thing I mean I do take fewer um, painkillers because it's so hard to get. It's so hard. No, um, in general, it, that's a whole political conversation that I'm not going to get into, but I do remember right after my C-section, I was at the hospital and I had a really bad cough and I went to the nurse's station and I was like, hi, uh, could I have some cough syrup? And the nurse goes to the back and then she comes back with a bottle and she's looks really upset and she's like, I'm so sorry. We don't have any more of the homeopathic stuff. I only have like the, the drugs and I snatched it out of her hand. I was like, yeah, thanks. Great. Good. What? So, um, yeah, they're a little bit more careful, but you know, you'll, you'll figure out after a while. And, uh, I, I could give you a, a hint and, um, maybe first district might have pharmacies that are okay with you buying aspirin. Maybe I would, I'd give it a try. Uh, and I can tell a really funny story. I'm going completely off topic here. Uh, I do remember, um, having to get some birth control. Uh, hi, mom and dad. I'm married. It's okay. Had a kid. Um, I had to go get some and my prescription had run out and I hadn't had a chance to go to the doctor. So I looked up my, uh, my pill and I wrote down the numbers of milligrams or whatever, because this was like a Canadian prescription. And I went into this apotheca and I said, hi, uh, this is the stuff I was using. I have a doctor's appointment in a couple months, but I need this for now. And the woman looked at it and I guess I had accidentally added a zero to both. Cause she was like, this would be birth control for a horse, but I think you meant, and I was like, yes, thank you. Sorry. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, a lot of information there for you guys. Uh, another way, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that you probably live around the corner from somewhere that like Mozart or Beethoven or Schubert or Strauss lived, you know, you, you'll see these buildings that have these kind of Austrian flags and a little crest that says this person. And after about the third time, you're like, nah, whatever. Eh. But then you have a visitor and you're like, and this is where Beethoven lived. And you're kind of obnoxious again, because you want to show off a little. 
Um, yeah, another another way you've know you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that you are so sick of schnitzel, but then every time you have it, you can't believe how amazing it is. And I talked about this in a former podcast. I'm like the goldfish of schnitzel. I forget. And when I have it again, I'm like, what? Why don't I do this every day? Oh, yeah. Well, I do other things, but that's, yeah, that would be even more deadly. Um, and then the next thing, let me just check my notes. So, you know, you lived in Vienna for a long time. This is the next one, uh, is that you no longer get violently ill from drinking Austrian wine. Now, originally I thought maybe it was because I had an allergy to Austrian wine or there was something with the sulfates, sulfites, sulf, I don't, I'm not a scientist. Um, maybe there was something with tannins. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, or the, the soil that I would just kind of feel awful the next day. I'd just be like, what is, what is wrong with this wine? But I kind of think it had to do with the fact that coming from Canada and then going to an Austrian grocery store and seeing that a decent bottle of wine was like three ninety nine. That may or may not have had to do with some of it. Um, but it's true though, when you first come here and you're not used to Austrian wine, it, it can be a little bit, it's heavy. It's a heavy wine. Um, I'm probably going to have my friends who own a wine place say, it's not heavy. You just don't know how to talk about wine. Uh, or you've had crap wine. Um, yeah, maybe they're right. Uh, but I've had some great wine at their place. Let me do a little plug at Craft Wines, which I'm hoping to quick uh, do a podcast soon uh, of wine tasting there where I will no doubt be looking at the wine and say, Hmm, it's a red. So that'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, it's true. You have to realize when you move here that wine alcohol is so much cheaper than in North America. And also the beers are bigger here. There's more alcohol content, especially compared to American beers. There's nothing called a light beer. That's just crazy. Don't do it. Uh, so yeah, you'll get used to it. It just takes a little while. Uh, the next thing, speaking of wine, uh, that you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time, is when you go to these wine taverns, Heurige, I can't say it, and these are these beautiful restaurants in the vineyards, and they've got courtyards or terraces, they're beautiful. You go and you order, and usually what you do is you say, Lita, Lita, which means you want a liter of white wine, which comes from the that tavern, from that vineyard, and a liter of either sparkling water or tap. You have to mix these two together or you will die because this is a house wine and this is a very potent wine and you will die if you don't mix them. I know almost from experience, but really always mix, always. And remember to say Lita Lita because it's fun to say and they'll be like, oh, are you a native? And you're like, no, mm -mm. but it's still fun uh, to go. You should definitely go to ones either in Grinzing or there's Neustift am Wald. And, uh, there's just, there's lots of little Hoyerkes and they're beautiful and amazing. I should actually do a Hoyerke tour at some point. Ugh, if you don't hear from me, I, I've died. Um, the next thing about how you know you've lived in Vienna is that you are so ticked about how crowded the Kuskindlmarkts have become. So these are the Christmas markets. They're gorgeous. They're all over the city, kind of starting end of November, even middle of November now. They, they've moved up the dates, and they have one They have one in front of the city hall, in front of the Schönbrunn Palace, the Belvedere Palace. They're all over the city, and they're so gorgeous, and they're lights, and it's uh, they're magical. But they've become really crowded because it's become a huge tourist draw, which is great for the city, but kind of ticks you off because you're like, hey, I live here. I need to get quicker access to th the drinks. So when you go to a Christmas market, you'll go, you'll be pissed, you'll still drink way too much punch or glue vine, 
and then you have the diabetes. But you know, it's all part of the Christmas season. That's what you do. Um, so the next thing about how you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that you know the term Schlag has at least three different meanings. And uh, I hope you're chuckling at that because I found it really witty. But Schlag can mean to hit. It can mean whipped cream or Schlag music, which is the type of like, I guess it's the equivalent of country music. Uh, Helena Fischer, Andreas Gavalier. This is the type of music that you only want to listen to unless you're like, you have to be completely hammered and probably wearing a dirndl or lederhosen and again, incredibly hammered. And maybe you went skiing earlier in the day and maybe you had some like Kesa Spetzel, which isn't like, it's like Austrian mac and cheese. So that's the only way that you can actually listen to it and not want to stab yourself in the ears. I'm so sorry if you're a Schlag fan. I'm sorry. Um, the next thing about how you know you've learned, or I can't even speak anymore, how you know you've lived here for a long time is that you start using terms like nagge, uido, which is just this kind of colloquial teenage language. And at first you use it a little bit ironically, and then it just becomes part of your vocabulary. Ah, so it's obnoxious, but it's something that, you know, you, you take over and you can't help it. It's just, it's, it's like a cold. You get it. Um, the next thing you know that you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that you know the term makler, which means real estate agent. You know that it will cause anger <laughs> no matter what. It will drive this, this. I know of a couple of great real estate agents here. The one that like got us our place was amazing. Uh, I also know a friend's dating one, so I can't say anything bad. But the majority of them, it's the worst. It's the worst. And I'm not going to go into details, but if you, if you listen to my podcast about buying a house in Austria, there's a bit of a backstory there. Um, the next thing is, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time is when people say they don't like the term, like apartments that are Altbau, you know that they are lying. They are lying. Cause I used to say I didn't like Altbau until I moved into one. And I was like, Oh my God, the ceilings are like 16 meters high. Oh, this is great for my Hanukkah bush. It'd be amazing. And Halloween parties are going to rock. You know they're lying when they say they don't like Altbaum. Uh, you know you've lived in Vienna for a long time when you don't really like traveling to a different district. Sure, maybe if it's like kind of attached to your district, you'll go. But if you have to change the subway twice to get to this place, yeah, you really are dedicated to get the, getting there. And it's so ridiculous because it literally will take you 30 minutes to get anywhere in the city. But if you have to change a couple of times... You might even consider ending a friendship over that. Um, it's good to kind of keep it in your districts. It's it's ridiculous because it's so easy to travel in the city, but there's something about it that you just, it shows a big commitment if somebody's willing to take two subways and a bus to get to you. That is, that's true love right there. Um, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time. Uh, if you are outraged and shocked, if a restaurant has set seating times and asks you to leave after two hours, this has only happened to me, I think, once. And I, they didn't ask. They had said when the reservation was being made, your dinner time will be from 6.30 to 8.30. And I thought they were joking because in Vienna, you can stay in a restaurant for forever and you don't have to keep ordering. It's I talked about it in another pod, in a, uh, I was going to say an earlier podcast. This is what's so civil here. It's so nice to be able to just sit somewhere and not feel like you're being rushed sucks for the owner of the restaurant, but it's great for the customer. Um, I remember being in New York a year and a half ago and the waitress kept 
asking us if everything was all right, if we wanted to order anything else. And she was visibly twitching. And there was uh, another friend who has lived in Vienna for a long time. And to see her drink that glass of wine as slowly as possible was epic. So uh, it was kind of hilarious because we don't like to be rushed. Don't rush us. Um, another thing is, you know, you've lived in Vienna for a long time is you actually get super patriotic about this country. Uh, whenever you see an Austrian doing really well some, in something internationally, not basement building, but other things, you get kind of proud. I remember Conchita Burst when she won Eurovision. There were tears. I was proud of my adoptive country. I was like, this is awesome. Or there was that guy that jumped out of that tin can in outer space. Uh, what was his name? Baumgartner, I think. I mean, that was that was our moonwalk. That was pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, it wasn't during the Cold War and it was funded by Red Bull, but it was amazing. I don't know if you watched that. I remember watching that live and I thought I was going to throw up. It was terrifying and it was incredible. And it was just like the feet of mankind throwing themselves out of a, as I said, tin can. But the one thing that I, I think about now is that the guy Baumgartner, his girlfriend, she was, you know, at ground control with his mother and his poor mother. I would have been like, no, I have no son. I, I'm not going to watch this. Call me when it's done. Anyway, she's sitting there. She has to watch this. And there's a scene, a scene, it's not even a film. There's this part where he kind of hit stratosphere. I don't know. And it looks like he's dead. Like it looks like he, he's lost consciousness. And then he lands safely and it's amazing. Yeah, he broke up with his girlfriend like a year later. I'd be like, no, buddy, mm -mm, no. I sat through that. I want alimony. Like, that's ridiculous. Anyway, total side note, total, that was off. That was just anger coming out. I don't know what, what happened there. Um, but I think you do get patriotic. And I remember there was just recently the beach volleyball uh, World Cup. And in the final were the two Austrian guys against Brazil. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're not going to win. But this is amazing. It, you do get a sense of pride. And uh, even like someone like Christoph Waltz, you're like, yeah. Yeah, totally from Austria. Totally cool. So proud. So proud. Um, another thing that you know that you've lived in Vienna for a long time is that when you're in the first district, the guys dressed like Mozart trying to sell concert tickets don't even hassle you. They've like, they see you and they're like, no, local. It's amazing. You feel like you blend. And it's funny because sometimes uh, if I'm walking with somebody and they're talking English loudly and then we get hassled, I'm like, dude, you let us down. Come on now. Get it together. Look Viennese. Don't smile. Don't do it. It's great. I, I, I love that I'm no longer hassled by them. Um, the next thing is that, um, you know, you've lived here for a long time when you realize that the staring doesn't bother you anymore. So if you've moved here, you will notice that people like to stare. It's not hostile. It's not, they're not doing it because they think it's rude. It's just out of curiosity. And it's not because they think you're foreign or different. They just stare. It's just part of the culture. We're generally taught not to stare because it's rude. I think they don't teach that here. I think that's just part of the culture. And I have a funny story about a, from a friend of mine who uh, flew from Vienna to New York for a trip. And she gets off the plane and she gets onto the subway and there's a couple, a couple of other Austrian girls they are young. They're in their early twenties and they're on the subway with her. And there's this woman sitting across with her friend. And obviously she notices that the two Austrian women are staring and she's like, what are you looking at? What's, what are you looking at? And like almost a fight started. And I was like, Oh, I feel like that needs to go into the brochure for people who are traveling outside of Austria. Don't stare. 
Um, but as I said, I don't even notice it anymore. Or if I do, I just stare back. It's not, um, it really bothered me though. I have to say for the, I think the first two years, I would, I would almost go into a rage. I, it felt so intrusive. And now it's like, Hey, thanks for staring. Um, it's really, it's hard to say. It's not even like, they're not even judging. It's just a look. They just stare. I think it's curiosity. And, uh, it's amazing how brainwashed I am by this place. I'm like, yeah, just let it go. They touch you a little funny. Don't worry. It's normal. Um, and yeah, God, I'm the worst. So pretty much that's it. I mean, you also, I guess this is my final point. You know that you've lived in Vienna for so long when you kind of, you, you, you accept it. There's that acceptance. It's that phase of grief. <laughs> you, you're in the acceptance phase. Now you realize that the city is spectacular. The work-life balance is amazing. There's, it's clean. The transportation's incredible. After a while, you get used to the culture and you can't really imagine yourself living anywhere else. Like, yeah, I go back to Toronto and I'm like, oh, I miss the city so much. It's so great. But I'm kind of like, you can get wine for $3.99. It's great. I can sit in a cafe for hours and spend 10 euros. Um, no, it's not just that. There's something about the city that is magical. And if you can kind of, I think if you can make it through the first three or four years, you go through all the cycles, the different seasons, a few times, you're stuck here forever. I'm sorry. You might not ever leave. So I hope you enjoyed my um, pointers. And you can always so find it on Operation Tube Top. That was my viral um, blog post. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, also, uh, what did I want to talk about earlier? I completely forgot. Um, it's Saturday night, so partay. I hope you all have a wonderful evening. I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. It's hot again. Uh, I'm sitting in a t-shirt and feeling gross. I cannot wait for fall because I'm going to give myself bangs, instant Botox. And uh, I, I, I'm going to wear boots again, leggings and clothes that hide my body. It's fantastic. I cannot wait. So I guess with that inappropriate ending, uh, I wish you again a wonderful evening and thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please just like it on Facebook. That would mean a lot to me because it's hard to know if people um, liked it or not, or they're just being polite or they're seeing me next week and they feel like they need to mention they listen to it. I, I need praise. We know that. You should know that by now. If you've read my blog, you know how much I need praise. Um, again, have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening. And all I can say is toodles. <laughs>